Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Intuitive Transformations with your host, Sylvia Henderson, and discover tools, wisdom, and inspiration that will empower you to transform your life. Sylvia is an intuitive life coach and energy healer with a growing practice that is focused on empowering others to be more of who they want to be. For the next hour, join Sylvia and explore and unravel anything in the way of you creating the life that you would love to live on the Ohm Times Radio Network. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to the Intuitive Transformations radio show, where you will find tools you can use to change and transform your life every Wednesday afternoon at 2 p.m. Eastern, right here on the Ohm Times radio network, the voice of consciousness at ohmtimes.com. This is Sylvia Henderson, your host, and if you would like to learn more about me and the work that I do, then please visit my website at intuitivetransformations.net. That's intuitivetransformations.net. Pretty much the name of the show. (laughs) Well, today is March 21st, and finally, spring has officially arrived, although there are some places in the northern hemisphere of the world that it doesn't look like spring or feel like it either, but indeed the spring equinox has happened. And with that comes uh, lots of beautiful energy for new beginnings and new births and uh, new and fresh opportunities, which is always exciting. And it's also exciting as we watch our days grow longer and also grow warmer as we head towards summer. I have some more news as well because Mercury has officially gone retrograde. I'm sorry, will officially go retrograde um, late tomorrow evening around 7 p.m. Eastern until April 15th, tax day, right? So what does that mean? Well, you have a really great excuse now for literally anything that goes wrong during that time. It's safe to say that something probably will go wrong because this is what Mercury in retrograde is so famous for. You know, I was one of those individuals that didn't believe in Mercury retrograde until I started to really take notice and see that, you know, yeah, it does have an impact. Um, Mercury rules communication and also technology. And so you can expect some weirdness in those areas as a result. Uh, It's a really good time to back up everything on your computer. Um, Make sure all your technology has a duplicate set of your data, because I will be honest, I have lost lots of data during uh, Mercury retrograde and even 
lost an entire computer. <laughs> so, um, you know, this is not just something I'm making up after 10 years of close observation. I have come to the conclusion that Mercury in retrograde is in fact a real thing. So um, relax and know that if things do go a little haywire, that you can blame it on Mercury retrograde and you might be surprised um, as uh, to how many people will understand exactly what you're talking about. Well, today we're going to talk about leadership, in particular, how to develop collaborative leadership in the workplace, in your home, and in your personal relationships. So what are the skills that form a socially intelligent leader? What is a socially intelligent leader? And how is all of this, in, how has all of this insight been culled from years of observation and experience of uh, watching herding cultures of animals, in particular horses? Today I have joining me on the show Linda Kahavnoff, and I think I said that incorrectly, but um, Linda is an author, speaker, a writing instructor, and a horse trainer who has become an internationally recognized innovator in the field of equine ex experiential learning and leadership and personal development. Through her organization, Eponiquest World, Linda has explored the healing nature of working with horses and is a respected writer on the subject of equine, equine facilitated psychotherapy and teaches internationally on subjects which include leadership, social intelligence, and stress reduction. Linda is a best-selling author with her first, first book, the Tao of Equus, A Woman's Journey of Healing and Transformation Through the Way of the Horse, being selected as one of the top 10 religion and spirituality books by Amazon.com, and has been used alongside with her second book, Riding Between the Worlds, Expanding Our Potential Through the Way of the Horse, as text for university courses across the country, and she has received and appreciative, she has received appreciative reviews and publications as diverse as Horse and Rider, Natural Horse, Ion's uh, Noetic Sciences Review, Shift, Spirituality and Health, Animal Wellness, The Equestrian News and Strides. Boy, communication is really uh, suffering for, with me right now. <laughs> Um, she is also the author of Riding Between the Worlds, Expanding Our Potential Through the Way of the Horse, The Power of the Herd, A Non-Predatory Approach to Social Intelligence, Leadership and Innovation, Way of the Horse, Equine Archetypes for Self-Discovery, a book of exploration in 40 cards, and her brand new book, which we're going to talk about today, The Five Roles of a Master Herder, a revolutionary model for socially intelligent leadership. Linda, welcome to the show. It's great to be with you, Sylvia. Thank you, and thank you for bearing with me as my mouth doesn't seem to be working quite as well today. <laughs> I'm feeling the effects of we all have that. Yeah, <laughs> it 
that's one of those days for me. So Linda, for those listening who are unfamiliar with your work, would you mind sharing your story about how you um, became so fascinated with um, the life patterns of herd animals, in particular horses, and how you became captivated to such a degree that you have become a leading expert in the field of equine experiential learning? Well, interestingly enough, I have a degree in music, and I worked in radio and also was a music critic for many years for a number of international magazines. I also organized a number of music festivals, especially in the Southeast, and I was dealing with a lot of crazy people at times, people with big egos who were very creative but often led extremely dysfunctional lives, and I got my first horse in the Tucson area in the early 1990s. My goal was really just to get away from people for a while and ride into the desert and relax. Instead, what I found was that my horse didn't automatically consider me her leader just because I walked around on two legs. That I learned also through working with with my horse and the numerous horses over the years was that there's a nonverbal dimension to leadership that's socially intelligent and capable of gaining the trust of others, particularly the trust of someone as powerful as a horse. What was so striking to me was that I had been in a lot of leadership positions. I had been program director of a radio station. I was running music festivals and all kinds of other situations where people would defer to me or be act really respectful of me, but it really had to do with my position. Uh, my position was ad- seen as advantageous to, to cooperate with me. But when I was with my horse, she didn't care that I had interviewed Johnny Cash on the way out to the barn one day. She didn't care how expensive my cowboy boots are or whether I even had cowboy boots on or not. And instead, she had this way of mirroring areas of imbalance that I had and ways in which I was not actually being assertive. And I couldn't, you know, sweet talk her or promise to pay her a higher salary to get her cooperation. I actually had to be powerful and trustworthy and assertive without being aggressive in the moment or she would reflect areas of imbalance. And so over time, she tuned me into becoming a a better adjusted person. People at work started to notice the difference. People at home noticed the difference too. They were like, wow, you're just so much more effective. How, how, How is that possible? What have you been doing? And I said, well, I've been studying from my horse, I guess. I've been learning from my horse. And people would ask me, "How? What? what is your horse teaching you? How are you learning this? And it was very hard in the beginning to answer that question because a lot of what I was learning was nonverbal um, forms of intelligence. It took me a number of years to get to the point where I could finally write my first book, The Tao of Equus, A Woman's Journey of Healing and Transformation Through the Way of the Horse. It took me probably six years to be able to write that first book because I had to find ways of talking about things that are beyond words. So that's my story, and I'm sticking with it. Well, you know, this is fascinating to me because I have two 
children with autism and, and both of them are not, one is somewhat verbal, the other is nonverbal. And so I've learned through that situation that yes, um, nonverbal communication is to me 90% of communication almost. And I also find it fascinating when you say that your horse would mirror the imbalances within you. So how would that show up in your horse's behavior? One of the ways it would show up is that I, I really didn't understand how to be assertive. Um, and so to motivate my horse to do some of the simplest things, um, I was used to just kind of blandly, you know, asking for cooperation and people would give it to me because they saw me as being in charge. But my horse actually demanded that I truly be assertive to motivate her in different ways. But I had to be assertive without being aggressive. If I if I tripped off into aggression, the horse, you know, would go into a flight or fight mode. And mm. so this is a conundrum for a lot of people. Um, we, we meet a lot of people who want to, you know, sweet talk somebody into cooperating. And sometimes that works with some people and it doesn't work with other people. And we all have encountered children who are more defiant, who are more naturally dominant. And... If you are a natural, nurturing kind of person and you have a child who's naturally more dominant and gregarious and directive, you're going to have some trouble until you understand how to be assertive in a, in a positive way. Yeah, I totally agree with you. So in and you know, in what you're sharing, I'm thinking about one-on-one relationships. So let's let's move into how that um relates in a group setting. You know, what have you found to be um the common components necessary for creating harmonious and sustainable collaborative group relationships? Um, given that in a group, you're probably going to have just this hodgepodge of different kind of personalities or different kinds of ways that people, um, uh, you know, strategize or um, become effective in, uh, you know, meeting their goals or getting things done together. That is one of the challenges that led me to develop this model, the five rules of a master herder. Because when you're interacting with groups of people or even herds of horses, let's say, there are different kinds of individuals in those groups. There are some very naturally nurturing people and animals, and there are ones that are more naturally dominant. And others might be a little more standoffish and um away from the group and others might be immersed in the center of the group with the lucky land slots you can get lucky just about anywhere this is your captain speaking uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky no no nothing like that it's just these cash prizes add up quick so i suggest you sit back keep your tray table upright and start getting lucky play for free at luckylandslots.com are you feeling lucky no purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. 
That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. And all of these personalities together demand that you're smart enough to understand what each person's style of interacting is and not, not take the dysfunctions that they might be portraying personally. Because what I've seen over time is that a lot of the behavior that we consider dysfunctional or unproductive or challenging is actually instinctual forms of behavior that we see in herds of horses. Mm-hmm. So um, if you have a naturally dominant horse, and that horse is what I would call an immature dominant, using that dominant role in an immature and unconscious state, there are forms of behavior you see in those horses that are almost exactly like what you see in people who have that profile. And you can be an immature dominant and be in your 70s. So... Um, what I mean by immature dominant is somebody who's good at that role, who overemphasizes it because it's natural to them, and they're unconscious about the dysfunctional ways that they're relating to people. So there are also problems with people who overemphasize what I call the nurturer companion role. Um, these people are conflict averse. They their power goes underground. They engage in passive aggressive forms of manipulation. Um, If you do something that offends them, they won't tell you what it is. They just expect that you should figure it out. And then over time, they're going to give you the silent treatment, and they're probably going to gossip behind your back to discredit you. So in an organization where you have some people overemphasizing the dominant role in an immature form and then other people overemphasizing the nurturer companion role, also in its kind of immature form, you have different forms of dysfunction that over time become very toxic to the organization. Yeah, I could definitely see that as as being a problem, Um, you know, when someone's afraid to speak their truth, because if you are, to me, if you're a nurturer, you're going to want to be with other people who are also nurturing. And when you're in an environment where maybe there's somebody who's more overtly dominant, as you've already expressed, it would probably cause them to shrink and, and pull back. That makes perfect sense, you know, but how do they move beyond that? And I know we don't have time for you to really go into that question completely because we're going to go into a break. But when we return from our break, I would love for you to talk about the other three roles that you um, discuss in your book, their challenges and their strengths, as well as you know what can people do to help balance themselves. So we'll be back in a few moments after the break. Please stay tuned for more of Intuitive Transformations on OMTimes.com. The future of Internet radio is here. Ohm Times Radio. IOM FM. Ascending Hearts is no ordinary dating site, but a spiritual dating site with a purpose to link you with your soulmate. We engineer the serendipity so you can trust that you will attune with someone that has the same matching vibration as you. Ascending Hearts, the conscious dating site for the spiritually aware. Try Ascending Hearts for free. AscendingHearts.com Hello, I'm Sandy Sedgbeer, host of Omtimes Magazine's flagship radio show, What is Going On? My passion is sifting through information, research, and innovations from new thought teachers, speakers, and researchers pushing back the boundaries of what we know about life, energy, metaphysics, and the universe. 
I love shifting perceptions about who we are, why we're here, and how quickly impossible becomes normal when we open our minds, expand our awareness, and accept that the only limits that exist are those we place upon ourselves. So if you're the kind of forward-thinking, eager investigator of what lies beyond the current reality that most perceive, why not make a date to come play with me in the field of possibilities at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time every Thursday, and together we can discover what's really going on. When I was little, I didn't talk for a long time. I was sensitive to lights and sounds, so I built secret hiding places where they couldn't get in. Sometimes, I did the same things over and over, until one day, I found out I had autism. My family got me help. Slowly, I learned how to live with it better. Early intervention can make a lifetime of difference. Learn the signs at AutismSpeaks.org slash signs. Brought to you by Autism Speaks and the Ad Council. Welcome back, everyone. This is Sylvia Henderson with the Intuitive Transformations radio show. And with me today as my guest, I have Linda Kahanoff, and she is the author of The Five Roles of a Master Herder, a Revolutionary Model for Socially Intelligent Leadership. And before we went into the break, Linda was just sharing a little bit of information about um, two of the roles that she identifies in her book. One was the dominant uh, role in leadership, as well as the um, nurturer companion role that people can play in relationships in a group. And so, Linda, before we dig a little further, can you can you just briefly go over the other three roles you identify: the leader, the sentinel, and as well as the predator? Yes, and and I want to mention that. Um, I learned about this from looking at the history of leadership in multiple cultures. And mm -hmm. I found that nomadic pastoralists, these are tribes that migrate with large animals. They actually employ a socially intelligent form of herd management that's very sophisticated and that we could really use in our current culture. Because the key is that these um, these master herders, as I call them, and I use this term to describe a strong, compassionate, well-balanced leader who also acts as a caretaker and a guardian. These people actually have to master five roles of power and social influence and use them fluidly and interchangeably. The roles are the leader, the dominant, the nurturer companion, the sentinel, and the predator. And the thing is, is that the reason why these master herders need all five roles is that they are migrating with large, powerful animals without fences and with very little reliance on restraint. And that's what a lot of us are facing now as leaders, whether we're parents or teachers or corporate leaders or running a nonprofit of some kind, is that people have more freedom and autonomy than they've ever had before. And so we have to use some of these same skills to understand how to work with free, empowered people all of the old dominant submission paradigms are falling down. Like all the old fences are falling down and people are running free now and they're running amok out there. And we have to learn how to get people on the same page and get them moving in the same direction to achieve anything of consequence. So that's where I began to understand that this, these skills that these master herders use. And I have to kind of, 
I, I had to come up with that term, but also deal with some of the issues that come up from those two words. The first one is master, and this is, I'm not using this in terms of master-slave. I'm using the word master-herder in terms of a person who has mastery of five roles and also has mastery of their own power and know when and how to use it and not overuse it or underuse it. And then the word herder, I chose herder rather than leader because leader is only one of five roles that these people need in order to be functioning at a high level. Here's the thing is that in our culture, very few people, even accomplished equestrians, realize that in herds of freely roaming herbivores like horses and cattle, the leader animal and the dominant animals are often two different individuals, and they perform specific functions that are essential to the group's well-being, even when humans are not involved. So even among horses as well as people, most people and and large herbivores are drawn toward a couple of roles um, while ignoring the other three. And this leads to dysfunction because whenever you overemphasize one or two or even three roles, each role develop, has a kind of a set of dysfunctional behaviors that occur when you overuse it. And so we already talked about, you know, the dominant can be hyper intimidating and they have an incredible um, sense of entitlement and they will also attack others for little or no reason throughout the day to keep everybody a little bit on edge. And this is an instinctual behavior. Dominant horses will do the same thing. They will attack other herd members throughout the day for almost no reason at all. And the point of that to them is it gives them a kind of a short-term power surge because it's keeping everybody on edge. And I see dominant leaders in corporate environments, dominant children, engage in these same tactics when they're overusing this role. But the dominant role is essential when you have to break up fights. Dominant individuals break up fights. They also can break through resistance. They can herd animals in the same direction. And so you need to use the dominant role at times to function. But if you overuse that role, you're hyper-intimidating, hyper-entitled, and likely to break trust down in an organization or family. The leader, on the other hand, is somebody who is um, – well, the dominant, let me just say that often they are, they're very, um, they don't like novel situations. They don't like surprises. They, they really like to keep the status quo in force because that's where they have the most control. But natural leaders, whether they're people or horses, are attracted to novel situations. And when something new happens in the environment, you'll also you'll often see the dominant horse take charge and push everybody away from the new thing. And then you'll see a natural leader animal walk out of the herd and begin to walk toward the new thing with an appropriate level of caution, but they have a confidence and curiosity that's contagious. And as they walk toward the new thing and, and see the benefits of it, the other herd comes along also. In the wild, horses develop, who are natural leaders, develop through life experience, knowledge of when a predator is on the prowl and when a predator has recently eaten a big meal. And so when a predator comes through the pasture, everybody will look to the leader to see if the leader's nervous or not. And they might sort of uh, snort a little bit, but the leader can often tell, wow, this predator's not a problem. And they don't automatically run screaming in the, the other direction. You can see videos all over YouTube 
of lions lounging next to large groups of wildebeest and zebras. And there's a few of members of that herd that are kind of stepping away from the herd and watching the predators. Those would be animals that are performing the sentinel role. The sentinel animals will step away from the herd and watch herd dynamics in relation to threats and opportunities in the environment. And so the sentinel role among horses especially is often traded throughout the day. In our culture, we make people overemphasize the sentinel role, and that can be a problem as well. And um, the herd throughout the day spends a large amount of time in nurturing and companionship activities. That's the glue that keeps the herd together. And so when you have a master herder in a nomadic pastoral culture, they know when to use the leader role, they know when to use the dominant role, and they spend most of their time in the nurturer companion role, hanging among the animals, taking care of them when they're sick, milking them, helping babies being born. They spend a lot of time um, scratching and petting and grooming their animals. And yet they're powerful enough to, to move an entire herd that's resistant away from danger or toward um, the next pasture or whatever. And uh, all of these four roles among master herders are separated from predatory power. And this is the key. In our culture, a lot of people overemphasize the predator role. And we have a lot of metaphors for predatory behavior when you say, oh, you really killed the competition, or you really crushed that as a compliment to let people, someone know when they're highly functional. You're actually using a predatory metaphor. But the predator role should always be separated from the other four roles. If you use predatory power or intent with any of the other four roles, you're not trustworthy and you can become very dangerous. So I, you know, when I, I it's very interesting to hear the explanation, how here you explain each one of these roles within leadership. And because, you know, most times when people look at these kind, these aspects or these displays of behavior in a workplace, um, it is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. That they start to label people differently than you have, like a predator might be labeled the bully or um, the dominant might be the narcissist, or, you know, so, um, Absolutely. you know, it's really interesting. It's like, how does one, like, really master these skills when, as, you know, I would think that um, a nurturer uh, companion type personality may feel that the last thing they want to do is exhibit any predator type um, behavior in a workplace because of how they, their perspective and point of view about that. So how does someone who's adverse to, like you said, they overemphasize the nurturing aspect of themselves and they reject that shadow aspect of the predator, you know, how do people find balance where they can actually achieve this, which you're suggesting? And this is the key. This is why this model is so essential um, to understand now more than ever. 
is that if you're going to stand up and be heard in an organization, whether you're the, the official leader or not, if you're going to stand up for your um, colleagues or you're going to be able to speak up and share your ideas, you need some level of assertiveness. And that assertiveness is generally in the realm of the dominant role. We've seen it so profoundly misused by people who overemphasize it that a lot of times people will abdicate that role if they're more sensitive. The problem is, is that especially in our culture now, we need sensitive, caring, compassionate people to become empowered, to stand up to the police in this world who are taking over and pushing people around and, and um, not letting others be heard because they're so flamboyant. So you really can't get anything done in this world unless you understand how to appropriately stand up to somebody who's overdoing the dominant or predator role and teach them how to use that role in a mature way. In order to do that, you have to understand what that role is and why it's valuable. Nurture companions um, can be very toxic in a work environment by overemphasizing that role because they won't if, – if a nurture companion – you see this a lot in nonprofits um, where there's a lot of really kind-hearted people who may have counseling or social work degrees um, stepping into – situations and a bunch of them are all working there and because none of them know how or when to use the dominant role if one of these people gets promoted to a leadership position um, they don't know how to break up fights between coworkers. and if you don't stop that early enough and see power plays in action and, and put a stop to that behavior and the dominant role when it's used in the mature form is the one that can do that if you don't stop this behavior soon enough these people will say things to each other that can never be taken back, and factions will be created. And then over time, if you don't intervene in that way and get more directive about stopping the inappropriate behavior and focusing in them and directing them on the appropriate behavior, if you don't stop that and engage that soon enough, after a while, the environment will become so dysfunctional that you'll have to pick one of the two that was originally fighting and perhaps their faction and you're going to have to fire those people just to save your company. So by refusing to use the dominant role early enough, you will eventually have no choice but to use the predator role, which means I'm firing these people and letting them go. Hmm. So I was the kind of person who was more oriented toward the leader role, which is very inspirational um, and focused on, on a vision. But if you overemphasize that role, the tendency is to get too far out in front of others. You don't come back around and help them to really understand the vision. It's like a lot of leaders will put out the vision and then expect everybody else to come behind and, and figure out the details. And they're off leading and focusing on the future, and people are having interpersonal difficulties or power plays, and if they don't have access to the dominant role, the leader's just like, hey, you know, we have this, we have this mission here of feeding all the homeless in Tucson, and you guys are back here arguing I don't have time for this. And then over time, these factions are created, and then there's incredible dysfunction. And everybody has a part of their job that is boring or tedious, and people tend to procrastinate on those issues. If you don't have a leader that's strong enough to come in and say, I need you to get back on task, and I need you to do this boring part of your job because everybody else is waiting for you. If you can't get in and be directive, which is the use of the dominant role, then after, after a while, you're going to have incredible resentment on your staff. So 
Even emphasizing the leader and nurturer companion roles, which was my tendency, I would be letting go of all of these other pieces and expecting people to be inspired and self-motivated and get on task and not fight. And my entire organization almost fell apart as a, as a result of me overemphasizing the leader and the nurturer companion and refusing to use the dominant role. Hmm. That is really interesting. It's, it's just... Um... Uh, so the work that you do, you know, do you go into corporations and help teach this? Or, I mean, because, you know, reading the book, it's a wonderful um, wealth of information on these distinct roles, but um, actually um, allowing yourself to, or training yourself to master all five of them in your current work environment or in your current group relationships, whatever those might be, um, would probably be really challenging as you begin to change and those around you notice you starting to become assertive, more assertive if you're more of a nurturer or um, are being the aggressive, go out and kill the sale kind of person and pulling that back. Um, that those around you will start to say, well, what's going on with you? What, what, you know, how, how, <laughs> how, do, how can someone make this shift to begin to strengthen these roles once they've been identified as what's weak and what's being overemphasized? Well, I mean, there is a, it is very helpful, first of all, to um, see the different roles and understand the mature and effective use of the role, as well as the dysfunctions that occur when it when it's overemphasized, when you can start to evaluate your own and others' behavior that way, a couple of things to happen immediately. First of all, you don't take bizarre behavior anymore personally. In fact, it doesn't even seem bizarre anymore because you realize these are instinctual behavior patterns that even happen in animals. And so, you know, if you have um, somebody who's been diagnosed as um, a narcissistic bully in the workplace, chances are that person is um, an immature dominant who might also be combining the dominant role with the predator role. That's very common in, in corporate environments. And so you can just see the behavior. You don't take it personally. And when it happens to you, you actually learn skills um, through working with the model and also with, with the horses, which I'll talk about in a minute you learn ways to stand up to these people that are productive rather than, um, you know, getting to the place where you can't take it anymore and you've been subservient, subservient, and they've, you know, just taken advantage and all of a sudden you blow up and you either get fired, you quit, or you're seen as, you know, some kind of a loose cannon. There are ways to handle people who are naturally dominant. And one of the best ways to practice this is to do some horse-facilitated learning activities um, and equine facilitated learning is not equine facilitated psychotherapy this is equine facilitated learning is teaching advanced human development skills to people who are already high functioning mm. and everybody really needs these skills if you're a parent you need these skills if you're a teacher as i said or if you're yeah. in the corporate world or in the world of I political totally, activism, you need these skills. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Any Anytime there's an opportunity for a power struggle, you should have these skills. So uh, well, we're, we're going for another break. Please stay tuned. We'll be back in just a moment with more uh, with Linda um, about uh, what your leadership role might be. Stay tuned. 
the cutting edge of conscious radio, Om Times Radio, IOM FM. Host your show on IOM FM, the radio network of Om Times Media, one of the more recognized brand names in the conscious community, and is backed by the extensive marketing reach of Om Times. Hosting a show on IOM FM immediately connects you with our extensive, dedicated community. Hello, I'm Lisa Barry. Join me every Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time for Light on Living, a chance to see new, hear different, and feel more as I shine the spotlight on all the ways to lighten the load of life's challenges. Light on Living is your link to that new way you're looking for, that new understanding that will enhance your life, and that positive connection that will support your growth. So join me and you'll gain insight and start to see things in a new way that motivates you. Hey, let me ask you something. Would you seat your three-year-old child on a windowsill? Would you seat them beside a lit fireplace or by the deep end of a pool? One last question. Would you seat your child in a car seat that's not correct for them? Car crashes are a leading killer of children ages 1 to 13. Secure their future. Seat them in the correct car seat. For more information, visit safercar.gov slash the right seat. A message from the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. We are back and we are uh, talking to Linda Kahanoff and she is the author of The Five Roles of a Master Herder, a revolutionary model for socially intelligent leadership. And um, Linda, I have to tell you, I really did enjoy what you said about how once you, ident once you can identify these different roles, these individual five roles, you stop taking it personal. It's no longer a personal attack or a personal offense. And I think that that's huge because once you let go of that, then you can really affect some change in your environment. Um, and so, and you also spoke about how it's important to know and understand these five roles because um, power struggles are inevitable in every aspect of our lives, you know, whether you're a parent or a teacher or in your friendship circles, um, as well as in corporate America. And so I'm really excited about that. Yeah, so so um, I, I even see power struggles in, in spiritual communities and churches and Buddhist communities um, where everybody thinks we're here for a higher, more compassionate um, purpose, and yet there are power struggles and crazy behavior that happens, and it seems incomprehensible. But once you understand these five rules, you can just see how that's slipping into that context as well. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So before we continue, would you mind sharing with everyone how they can uh, learn more about you, connect with you, find out about your courses and, and the training that you offer? Absolutely. Um, I have two websites. Um, one of the websites is masterherder.com. Um, and the other one is eponaquest.com. That's E P as in Paul, O N as in Nick, A Q U E S T dot com. And I have a, my biographies on there and descriptions of, of my books, um, as well as workshops that are coming up where you can actually work with horses in really engaging ways, doing ground activities with horses. You don't ride them for this purpose. And really work with horses as, as teachers to master these 
five roles, and a number of other skills, um, including horses are marvelous teachers of working with energy at a distance and using breathing techniques as a form of communication. Um, so if anybody wants to get a, a sense of what that might look like, there's actually an interesting video on YouTube that I did. Um, and you could just look up my name, Kohanov, K-O-H-A-N-O-V, and then next to it put heart breathing. And if you go to that YouTube video, you'll see me engaging a breathing technique that can cause a horse to look at me and walk over to me at a distance. It's an energetic breathing technique um, that looks like sheer magic. Um, and these are some of the skills we teach as well. And how you, you translate some of these breathing techniques to working with aggressive or frightened children and adults. You can actually turn um, potentially explosive situations around by using these very, what turns out to be very simple breathing techniques and energetic techniques, but very, very important and effective techniques. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Oh, I'm definitely going to look into that. That sounds um, like it would be really beneficial, especially when I'm dealing <laughs> with my children. <laughs> um, Absolutely. Because, you know, if you can calm, if you can get your energy to be calm, it's like everything kind of harmonizes with that. That's that's wonderful. So I would like to talk about how you came to develop this master herder professional assessment that you include in the in your book that allows your readers to be able to identify their roles because i I had the chance to use it (laughs) and i thought it was really (laughs) interesting yeah and you know when you take the the professional assessment you need to take it with a particular situation in mind um because what happens is this isn't a personality test this is a this is an assessment to show what roles in a given situation you may be overemphasizing and abdicating and what roles you may actually have a pretty good balance of. Um, But the situation in your job description and the culture that you're in can cause you to overemphasize certain roles. You know, so like if you work in mergers and acquisitions in a company, you're likely to have a very high predator score. This doesn't mean you're an evil, sociopathic, sexual predator. This means that your job is to understand what programs during a merger um, of two companies, you're going to have two accounting um, departments all of a sudden and two other departments of some kind, and you have to make choices about who to keep and who to let go. And anytime you're letting somebody go or, you know, firing somebody or cutting a program because the economy has changed or cutting the family budget because the economy changed, anytime you're doing something like that, you're using the appropriate function of the predator role. The predator keeps life in balance with available resources. And so if, you know, the economy changes in a company and you keep, um, you actually refuse to use the predator role soon enough and compassionately enough, you can take your entire company under, you know. 
So that's why we do have to use the predator role sometimes. But it has to be a last resort, and it has to be used very thoughtfully and not in anger and not trying to engage in power over others, or it can be severely misused. But, you know, so like in a certain job setting, you might show a high predator um, because of your job function. But in other situations, you might show, you know, a high nurturing function because your job description maybe is more in the counseling or social service field. That doesn't mean that's who you are. It means that in your current professional setting, forces are causing you to sometimes overemphasize a role. Um, but sometimes we can overemphasize a role habitually um, no matter what professional setting we're in. And this is a professional assessment we're talking about. Um, and in that case, you can be highly, highly dysfunctional. So when I see like people who are really good at the nurture or companion role and maybe have had jobs where that's a huge portion of what they need to do, such as a counselor, they might find that if they're promoted in a social service agency, that all of a sudden they need access to the use of the dominant role and the predator role and the sentinel role and the leader role. And if they if they are habitually functioning in the nurture or companion role, they're not going to be effective in a leadership role. So, um, so this is why you would take the professional assessment is to see, you know, in my current situation, which roles am I overemphasizing and which ones am I abdicating? And there's likely to be dysfunction in that setting. We're not mm. looking at balancing all five roles in terms of scores all being even. Um, a lot of times we're looking at people who have, are capable of using the roles but know when and how to use them. So generally your dominant and predator scores should be lower than your other three, um, but they should be high enough to show that when necessary you're willing to use those other roles. Yeah. Otherwise, uh, you would become uh, the uh, victim, <laughs> quote, unquote, <laughs> of your life right. experience. Yeah. So, you know, we live in a society now where more and more people are working from the, their homes. And you mentioned also that we have more autonomy now than we've ever had before, um, especially in the workplace, the way things have changed with technology and everything and people working more remotely than um, having to be in an office or doing things more by video or, or just simply by phone. So what impact um, is, do you think this is having on our society as it does reduce access to uh, nonverbal communication signals? It does, um, but there's still, when you're interacting with people on Skype or um, through email or text, you know, I see people you know, doing overemphasizing certain roles in those settings. I can I can look at what somebody's written and how they're dealing with a challenge or with other coworkers, even internationally. I can look at someone's email and see what role they're overemphasizing. So, you really need to um, use all five of these roles, even if you're working remotely. You know, unless you're living on a desert island and you're independently wealthy and you have no family members or anybody that you would have any kind of disagreement with, you're going to need all five of these roles. So um, the interesting thing now, too, is that, you know, we're working, if, we're, if you're working for an innovative company that can um, respond to quick changes, not only in the economy, but quick changes in technolog te technological issues and opportunities um, that people need to take advantage of quickly to really shine, um, more people are hiring 
independent, really, they really need independent, gifted, empowered staff members. Um, these are the ones who can really help your company or your nonprofit or your community organization shine. But if you upset these people as a heavy-handed leader or a neglectful leader, confident, talented employees are likely to do something more infuriating than just quit. They're likely to become your competition. These days, anyone with a great idea can raise money online, right? They can order supplies delivered to the door. And we have lots of examples of multi-million dollar corporations that were conceived in the corner of a basement or garage. So now more than ever, businesses need really sophisticated leadership skills to attract and keep intelligent, inventive people on board. And if you're going to work with empowered, intelligent, inventive people, you know, it's like wrangling a herd of racehorses. You know, if you feed them well and you condition them well, they're worth millions. But these aggressive, sometimes flighty animals, they don't necessarily get along with each other. And if they don't like the training trainer, they might kick out and leap over the gate and head for the hills or something. So these skills of the master herder of working with free, empowered animals are more important than they ever have been before. So then as a socially intelligent leader or someone who um, basically just has all has mastered this skill, I mean, how I know I feel like I keep going back to the same question because um, uh, it just seems like it's such a big jump for some people to be able to um, uh, to change. I mean, what if they don't have access to the services that you offer and they're really excited about um, what they find and discover and unearth from reading your book and they want to um, start mastering these other skills that they've neglected. Um, what are some practical things that people can do that don't have access to working with horses? Right. Well, um, I, I do a lot of trainings on site in businesses. Like Nike brought me up to Portland and I did a one day indoor workshop where I, I talked about the five roles and, and we talked about different people's scores and, and how, how, the team could become more balanced. And then I gave them some skills that you can translate directly to human situations. Um, and some of these skills are featured in my fourth book, The Power of the Herd. So mm -hmm. if you get the five roles of a master herder and then the power of the herd, in the power of the herd, you'll see 12 guiding principles that are actual skills for how to be assertive without being aggressive and how to use um, strong emotions as information in professional settings um, without mentioning the emotions themselves. Um, so this is an emotional intelligence skill and, and some, you know, a bunch of other um, techniques and how, how to tell the difference between predatory power and non-predatory power and how to really start to use non-predatory power for the most part. So I've actually done quite a lot of, of writing um, about this subject. But really the, the most efficient way to learn some of these skills, because a lot of them have a non-verbal element that's significant, is to do some of this work um, with horses. And again, you don't have to have horse experience. They're ground activities with specially trained horses. And I have instructors that I've been teaching these techniques to. And I now have EponaQuest instructors on six continents. And so, you know, there are, there are some instructors um, in the Washington area for sure. You can always look them up on the EponaQuest website or the Master Herder website. 
Um, and I would definitely pick somebody who is trained in the master herder or the power of the herd skills. Um, some of the some other people have been trained in um, more of a personal um, reflection or development model and haven't done the additional leadership training. So they wouldn't know the activities and, and tools that I'm talking about. But you can tell the difference between those two on, on my website and see where there is an instructor or, or come down here and work with my horses because also my, I have a team of horses that I've been working with for years and I, I can actually work with people to work with gentle horses and then more assertive horses and then more dominant horses and finally sort of build up their skills to set boundaries with a dominant horse and motivate a dominant horse through resistance and gain that animal's trust. And if you can set boundaries and direct a thousand pound dominant horse, suddenly your boss or the president of the United States or whoever's acting in a, in a dominant dysfunctional way, they're just funny by comparison. You know, you really do know what to do. You do understand the nonverbal things that will set boundaries with these people and also gain their cooperation and trust and respect. And um, it's, it's really quite magical and it's quite efficient um, if you get a chance to work with the horses themselves. But you can learn a lot just from the books as well. Well, thank you for that. Um, you know, I think that that's a, a brilliant combination to um, once you identify what your roles are, then you can just go to your other book of The Power of the Herd and um, uh, and then learn the, uh, the 12 guiding skills that can actually help you to transform um, where you are not quite as strong in terms of those five leadership skills or roles, I should say. Right. And, you know, just don't, don't be discouraged, you know, if you feel like you're out of balance or, you know, it feels like a big deal to learn some of these other roles. Um, because think about how long it takes a child to read and write or mm -hmm. how long did it take somebody to learn to, you know, become an attorney or a counselor. You know, you spend years learning those things. And it doesn't take nearly that long to learn these five roles. Um, somehow we expect people to just accidentally learn important leadership and social intelligence skills. And that's crazy because, yes, occasionally somebody does accidentally develop all five roles. But for the most part, most adults are not functioning at their optimal level because they simply haven't studied how to develop a balanced, socially intelligent leadership style. And it doesn't take that long. It really doesn't. Well, and what a different world it would be if we could um, begin to just change that within ourselves one by one. Uh, life Absolutely. would be much better, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> uh, Linda Kahanoff, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing from your wealth of wisdom. I really do appreciate you joining us. Thank you, Sylvia. It's really been fun. Great. Um, and everyone who's listening will be back again next week. Thank you for joining us and um, learning more about how you um, can balance within yourself the five roles of a master herder. Take care for now. We'll be back again next week. Know that you are loved, lovable, and loving. <laughs> <laughs>